Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi nehmeduhu ve nesta'inuhu ve nestağfiruhu ve nu'minu bihi ve netevekkelu aleyhi. Ve na'udhu billahi min şururi enfisina ve min seyyiati a'malina. Men yehdihillahu fela mudilla lah. Ve men yudlilhu fela hadiyya lah. Ve neşhedü en la ilahe illallahu vahdehu la şerike lah. Ve neşhedü enne Muhammeden abduhu ve rasuluhu. صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respect to listeners السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته After a break of a few months we gather once again for the continuing commentary of Surah Al-Hujarat. Today is the seventh lesson of this commentary on Surah Al-Hujarat. In the previous sessions, <coughs> we've covered approximately ten verses. And just to quickly recap, in the previous sessions, we learnt about the various topics that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in these previous verses. Namely, at the beginning, Allah reminds the believers not to advance themselves, not to be too forward, and never to place themselves before Allah and His Messenger wasallam. And this is in everything in speech, in conduct, in behavior, in choice. Then Allah reminds the believers about some of the etiquettes of behavior towards a messenger So maintain respect. Recognize your limits and your boundaries when it comes to Allah and His Messenger Do not raise your voices above the voice of the Messenger. Do not speak to him loudly as you would speak to one another. Do not call out to him as you would call out to one another. All of this disrespect towards a Messenger of Allah may actually lead to your deeds perishing without you realizing. Then Allah mentions the example of some of the companions who do maintain this respect and who do observe these etiquettes towards the Messenger And this courtesy these etiquettes, this respect, all of this is actually a reflection of the fear of Allah and God-wariness and taqwa in their hearts. On the other hand, Allah contrasts the 
respectful behaviour of, of the companions with some of the visiting Bedouin, who, being unrefined in their approach, being harsh of tongue and extremely forward, they called out to the Prophet ﷺ from behind the chambers whilst he was resting, and they summoned him outside. And in fact, this is, this is a verse from which the whole surah derives its name, those who called out to you, call out to you from behind the chambers, and the whole surah has been called Hujarat, the chambers. So Allah says of them that most of them have no sense. They lack the knowledge, the understanding, the correct etiquettes of behavior. Then Allah says, had they been patient until you came out to them, this would have been far better for them. Having spoken about limits and boundaries when it comes to Allah and his messenger وسلم, and also about respect towards a messenger وسلم, Allah then speaks about one of the obligations of a community, of a whole society. That when they receive any news, before acting on this news, they must verify the facts, ascertain the truth, lest they, in their haste and in their judgment, inflict harm upon someone without realizing. Then Allah reminds the companion specifically that you have amongst you the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You are his followers. Your job is to follow him, not that he follows you. By all means, offer your opinion. When he consults you, speak candidly and offer your words of advice. However, have no expectation that he will act on your opinion. For it was the custom of the Messenger وسلم, to solicit the opinions of the companions عنهم, as Allah commands him in another verse of the Quran. And then once he had reached a decision, whether it's agreed with all of them, agreed with some of them, or actually disagreed with all of them, it was the duty of the companions to follow him rather than expect him to follow them. Allah then actually praises the companions in the next few verses. Finally, we then learnt about conflict and disagreement between two parties of believers. What should be done? Others should bring about peace and harmony between them, try to reconcile these differing parties, and there are there's some advice and there are some laws about that. Finally, Allah reminds us that That even though these people may be differing with one another and in conflict, they are still believers and they are still brothers amongst themselves. And therefore reconcile your differing brothers. This is where we ended. Now, I've just given you a summary of each of the verses that we have covered, and the details are in the previous six 
uh, recordings of Suratul Hujarat, so do refer to them when they are released. But before I proceed with the next verse, I'd just like to remind all of us about the theme of Suratul Hujarat. What what is the theme? What is the overarching topic of this famous and beautiful surah. It's the Madani surah. It was revealed in the later years of the Prophet's life. Furthermore, the surah is quite comprehensive in relation to a few topics. And we've named the theme of the surah a Madinan society. Because this surah teaches the companions how a society should be formed, how a society should live and conduct itself, and what the relationship of that society should be with its creator and with the rest of creation. And Allah has instituted various laws and teachings in Islam through his noble messenger وسلم, which serve as very firm foundations for a just and upright and equitable society. And we saw evidence of that in Medina during the time of the Prophet وسلم, and thereafter with the earliest companions and that's what this surah speaks of. This surah is about, it's not so much about laws, do's and don'ts, halal and haram. Rather, it's about etiquette. It's about respect. It's about justice. It's about recognizing one's limits and boundaries. When it comes to Allah, the creator, when it comes to, the, when it comes to creation, when it comes to others. And all of these topics have been covered in detail, and inshallah we will continue to learn more as we proceed. So the verse where we stopped was, where Allah reminds us that, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اقْتَتَلُوا فَأَسْلِحُوا بِيْنَهُمَا That if two groups of believers fight, and that means actual qital, actual physical violent conflict, then what should you do? This is what we covered. Allah then says in surah number 10, and this is where we actually stopped or did part of the, sorry, in verse number 10, this is where we stopped. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that despite two groups of believers quarreling, fighting, and being engaged in conflict to the extent that they take up arms against each other, despite all of this, do not forget that one they remain mu'mineen believers. And that's why Allah tellingly says in the beginning of verse 9, That if two groups of mu'mineen, of believers, fight. So that's point number one. The second point, never to forget, is despite their conflict, despite their taking up arms against each other, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the beginning of verse number 10, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً Believers are but brothers amongst themselves. Believers are but brothers.
They may fight, they may quarrel, they may even take up arms against each other, but they are like one family. As human beings, we are very imperfect, and that means we argue, we fall out with one another, we disagree with one another, we disagree strongly, even violently at times with one another. But the same blood runs through our veins. We are one family. And what binds us, what joins us, what unites us, is far more and far greater than what divides us. So Allah reminds us again, The believers are but brothers. And I spoke about the topic of brotherhood in the final previous session. So I won't repeat any of that. But here Allah says, the believers are but brothers. Therefore, reconcile your two brothers. If two people are fighting, then reconcile the two. If two whole groups are fighting, they still remain believers and they still remain brothers. And they remain your brothers. Therefore, make an attempt to reconcile the two. Think of yourself as one family. And like any one family of blood relatives, of siblings, people fight. Families fight. Is there any family that does not fight? Yes, some fight more than others. But conflict is part of human nature. It's one of the facts of life. We fight with ourselves, as I keep on saying. Forget agreeing with someone else. We are in conflict with ourselves. We disagree with ourselves. We can never agree with ourselves. One day we feel one way, the next day we feel another way. One day we have one opinion, sometime later we'll have another opinion. There's no guarantee that that opinion won't change. So one of the best ways of breaking our arrogance and of coming to terms with people disagreeing with us is to ask ourselves a question. At which point do you want them to agree with you? Do you want them to agree with you as you are now? Or as you thought and believed and opined a week ago? Or as you thought and believed and held opinions a year ago? Or as you will hold another opinion a year from now. So at which point do you want people to agree with you? When you yourself are forever changing in your opinions, in your thoughts, in your feelings. So it's a height of arrogance to expect people, the whole world to move with you, the universe to chime in and to synchronize itself with you, that you are the center of the universe. If you are happy, everyone else should be happy. If you hold one opinion, everyone else should hold the same opinion. We don't agree with ourselves. Speaking of that, there's one scholar he remained with his teacher for a long time, in his company, serving him, studying with him, learning with him. 
And then, when he finally departed to return home, this was one of the ulama of the earlier period. As he was departing, the, he was a scholar in his own right. But when he bid farewell and he sought leave of his grand teacher, he said to him, any parting advice? So the teacher scholar said to him, what advice can I give to you? So he insisted, no, Sheikh, any parting advice, any advice. So the teacher said to him, my only words of advice to you are, do not be God and do not be a messenger. Do not be God and do not be a messenger. So he said, subhanAllah, what is that supposed to mean? So he said, when you leave from here, do not expect that everything will be as you want it. Only Allah has that right. Do not expect everything to be as you want. Only Allah has that right. So do not be God. And two, do not be a messenger. Only a messenger has the right to expect his people to follow him and to obey him. And you are not a messenger. So people will oppose you. People will disagree with you and disobey you. So these are my two words of advice. Do not be God and do not be a messenger. So we don't agree with ourselves. Despite our disagreements, despite our conflict, we should never forget that we are one family. And therefore Allah says, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ Therefore reconcile your two brothers. Even though they may be warring. And if like in our own families, if we see two siblings, a sister, brother or sister, fighting with each other, do we just ignore them? Or if it's in our ability, don't we make some attempt to bring about peace, harmony and reconciliation between them? Because if their problem is left to fester, it will only grow. And it may actually come back and bite us. It will affect us. So to the best of our ability, circumstances permitting, we are concerned and we make an effort. So the same concern and effort should be seen when it comes to the wider family of the Ummah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. As Allah says, believers are but brothers. Therefore reconcile your Two brothers. فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ Allah then says, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ And be wary of Allah. Perhaps you may receive mercy. This final part of verse 10 says so much. One Allah says, Allah and be wary of Allah. If 
you wish to realize true brotherhood, if you wish to exercise that brotherhood, if you wish to see the beautiful effects of brotherhood and sisterhood, if you wish to behave and live and be as a family of believers, then this can only be achieved with taqwa. If there is no taqwa, there cannot be true ukhuwa and brotherhood. If you wish to realize the same ukhuwa that Allah speaks of, then it can only be achieved with taqwa. Taqwa changes everything. Taqwa overcomes our weaknesses. Taqwa prevents the worst in us and brings, about, brings out the best in us. Taqwa overrides our basic instincts. All those undesirable reasons which lead to conflict are actually overcome by taqwa. And taqwa is not just the fear of Allah, that's part of taqwa. Taqwa means the wariness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being fearful of Allah, being wary of Allah, guarding oneself from Allah's displeasure, and being constantly conscious of Allah azza wa jal, that's the meaning of taqwa. If someone has that taqwa, it will go a long way in helping that person be a believing brother and act like a believing brother and realize that ideal of brotherhood. And if two people have taqwa, then that, their level of true love, and it, it does happen, the Sahaba demonstrated it beautifully, and I gave many examples of that. And there are countless examples of how the Sahaba truly lived like brothers. And that was because of taqwa. So when Allah says, Allah and be wary of Allah, it's not just a random comment at the end of the verse. It's related to brotherhood. Be wary of Allah. Perhaps you may receive mercy. This is the second thing. Which means that how should believers behave amongst themselves? How should family members be with each other? How should brothers live with each other? With rahmah. With compassion and mercy. With forgiveness. Without forgiveness, without toleration, without compassion, without overlooking, we have to overlook things every day. Otherwise we will not be able to survive. A husband and wife a husband and wife cannot truly survive in a marriage without overlooking things, without forgiveness. As Allah told and says in Surah An-Nur, فَلْيَعْفُوا وَلْيَسْفَحُوا أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ إِنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ And that was in relation to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. Who, had, who actually had every right to feel indignant and angry. Mr. one of his relatives, whom he had 
maintained and provided for, who actually survived on the charity and the donations and the maintenance of his elderly relative Abu Bakr as-Siddiq he repaid all of that kindness by repeating false rumours about the daughter of Abu Bakr So in his anger, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq said, By Allah, I will never spend a single dirham again on mistah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse. ولا يأتري أولو الفضل منكم والسعة أن يؤتوا أولو القربى والمساكين والمهاجرين في سبيل الله وليعفوا وليسرحوا ألا تحبون أن يغفر الله لكم والله غفور رحيم Allah says and let not those of bounty and wealth meaning Abu Bakr swear that they will not give And see the way Allah describes mistah. The language is beautiful. Language means so much. We should be careful of what we say and how we say it. It's that famous story about, it's an anecdote, whether it's a true one or Allah Adam, but we've always heard it from our elders that in the olden days there was a king who saw a dream that all of his teeth fell out. So he was quite startled. So in the morning he summoned his interpreters and scholars of the court. And he said, I saw a dream in which all of my teeth fell out. So what's the interpretation? So one scholar said, Your Majesty, Unfortunately, in your lifetime, you will witness the death of all of your relatives. So he was already startled as it was, and now he was angry and shocked. So he said, away with him, punish him. Then he sought another interpretation. So he said again, who will give me the correct interpretation? I saw a dream that all of my teeth fell out. So another scholar said, Your Majesty, of all your relatives, you shall enjoy the longest life. So he said, Reward him. <laughs> so one and the same thing, but the choice of words, the language. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say, Let not Abu Bakr or let not the, the people of wealth and riches and bounty refuse to give to those who have hurt them or refuse to give to those who have slandered their family or refuse to give to those who have been ungrateful for their charity and their kindness Allah does not mention a single negative point about mistah subhanallah Allah says let not the people of bounty and wealth refuse to give whom the relatives. Allah reminds Abu Bakr that forget everything else. He is your relative. And to the poor, Allah reminds Abu Bakr that do not think anything else of him. Remember that one, he is your relative. Two, he is poor.
And thirdly, Allah says, وَالْمُهَاجِرِينَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And to the emigrants in the way of Allah, O Abu Bakr, forget his insult, forget his ingratitude, forget his lapse, forget his mistakes and errors. Remember that one, he is your relative. Two, he is needy and poor. And number three, the greatest of all things, he is one of those who did hijrah and emigrated in the way of Allah from Makkah to Medina. So Allah does not mention a single negative point. Allah only reminds Abu Bakr of all the good points and all the redeeming qualities of Mr. The same one who had insulted him and his family, who had been extremely ungrateful, who had repaid charity, kindness and favour with slander. So Allah then says, Let them forgive and let them overlook an excuse. Do you not wish that Allah forgives you your sins and Allah is most forgiving, most merciful? When Abu Bakr heard this verse, he wept, he shed tears. He was very soft. And he instantly said, he matched his earlier words and he contrasted them. Before he said, by Allah, I will never spend a single dirham on Mr. till the day I die. When he heard this verse, he wept and he said, by Allah, till the day I die, I will never withhold a single dirham from Mr. And that was someone who had hurt him. So when it comes to brothers, when it comes to sisters, when it comes to siblings, family, parents, children, when it comes to our spouses, we cannot survive, we cannot live a meaningful life without compassion, without forgiveness, without overlooking. So this is the way people should be with each other, families should be with each other. So as I said earlier, perhaps you may receive mercy. How should ikhwa, how should believers live amongst themselves? With forgiveness, with compassion, with rahmah, with mercy. If you live by taqwa, and you live by rahmah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself will be merciful towards you. How can you expect mercy and rahmah from Allah when you have no rahmah and compassion for one another? We have a tradition in knowledge, which is that they are known as al-ahadith al-musalsalah. Hadith of chains. So, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum relate a certain hadith to their students and they to their students. And there is something which is always copied and there is something unique at every link of the chain. For instance, a hadith of Bukhari in which Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he would meet with Jibreel alayhi salam, and Jibreel alayhi salam would recite the Qur'an to him, 
Jibreel the Prophet وسلم, in his eagerness and desire to catch the words of the Quran, he would move his lips along with Rasulullah, along with Jibreel. So Rasulullah in his desire and enthusiasm to catch the words of the Quran and not to miss any of them from Jibreel, he would repeat the words under his breath, but move his lips. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him. وَلَا تَعْجَلْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يُقْطَى إِلَيْكَ وَحْيُهُ وَقُرَّبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا And do not hasten with the Qur'an before its revelation is completed to you. And in another verse, لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِتَعْجَلَ بِهِ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جِمْعَكُ وَقُرْآنًا فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ فَاتَّبِعْ قُرْآنًا That do not move your tongue in order to hasten with the Qur'an. So Imam Bukhari relates a hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas who describes the meaning of these verses and he says that the Prophet وسلم, out of fear that the words of the Qur'an would escape him he would recite the Qur'an along with Jibreel and move his lips. So Allah told him not to. So then Abdullah ibn Abbas said and I move my lips just as the Prophet ﷺ used to move his lips. And then Abdullah ibn Abbas he would silently demonstrate to his students and to all of his listeners that this is how the Messenger ﷺ would move his lips. Now that hadith, when his students would relate the hadith to those who came after them, they did the same. And their students did the same with their students. All the way down to us, all of the teachers from whom I have heard this hadith, they did exactly what Abdullah ibn Abbas did, with a continuous chain. So the, and I've done it for you. Now this is what we, these are what we call al-ahadith al-musalsalah, the chained narrations. So the first chained narration, which most students of hadith actually hear, is These are the first, often this is the first chained hadith which we which students hear from their teachers. And the meaning of the hadith is The compassionate ones, the compassionate one is merciful towards them. Be merciful towards those who are on earth. He who is in the heaven shall be merciful towards you. So, and be wary of Allah. Perhaps you may receive mercy. These aren't just random words at the end of this verse. They are connected to Uhuwa and brotherhood. That if you wish to realize brotherhood, first of all, be wary of Allah and exercise taqwa. Number two, if you wish to receive the mercy of Allah yourselves, then live like brothers with compassion and mercy and rahmah towards each other. Moving on to the next verse, verse number 11. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O believers, la yaskhar qawm min qawmin asa in yakunu khayran minhum. Let's not a group of people mock Another group of people, lest they be better than them. 
ولا نساء من نساء عساء يكن خيرا منهم and let not a group of women mock another group of women lest they be better than them ولا تلمزوا انفسكم and do not taunt yourselves do not defame yourselves ولا تنابزوا بالالقاب and do not taunt each other with offensive titles. Evil is the name of sin after faith. And whoever does not repent, then these, they are the sinful ones. They are the wrongdoers. This is verse 11. And... I'll comment on just this verse for today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions three major sins in this verse. One, ridicule, mockery. Two, taunting, defaming. And number three, giving one another offensive names and calling out to one another with offensive titles. Now, all three of these are sins. So the first one, Allah says, let's not, O believers, let's not a group of men, let's not a group of people, mock another group of people, lest they be better than them. Sukhriya, mockery. Ridicule, laughing at others, scoffing at them, deriding them, making fun of them, poking fun at them, laughing at them, making a joke of them. All of this is a haram in Islam. There are no ifs or buts, there are no two ways about it. All of this is haram. Comedy does not make it halal. To say that I'm only joking does not make it any better or halal. Why do we laugh at others? Why do we make fun of others? Often this is a result of low self-esteem, deep insecurity, personal fears, projection. This is one of the most famous explanations of psychologists that why do we, even children, little children, barely have understanding of things, when they see someone else tripping over or getting into trouble, even infants, they laugh and joke and point at one another to and invite one another's glances to make a spectacle of the other person. Why do children do this? Children, adults, we all do it. So what's the psychological explanation? There are, there's a myriad of explanations. Deep insecurity, projection of fears, distraction, deflection. 
we won't go into any of them. But the Prophet has identified one major cause. And which is arrogance. When a person is arrogant, when a person feels that they are superior, they are entitled, then they look down on others and hold others in contempt, deride them. Now one may ask, but how do these two explanations Square. On the one hand, people believe that laughing at others, scoffing at them, mocking them, ridiculing them, all of this is a result of deep insecurities and low self-esteem. And yet, on the other hand, we are also saying that this is a result of arrogance. How do the two square? Well, as I've mentioned in my talk on arrogance, ultimately, arrogance itself is is itself a result of low self-esteem. Arrogance is masking one's weakness, one's insecurity, one's lowliness. Someone who is confident has no need to be arrogant. So, when a person thinks good of themselves, thinks they are special, superior, more worthy, then they will look down on others, hold them in contempt, deride them. That is arrogance. Imam Muslim and Imam Tirmidhi and others, they all relate to hadith. From Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu in which he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, That never does a person, never will a person, enter Jannah in whose heart there is an atom's weight of arrogance, of kibr, of pride. And never will a person enter the fire in whose heart there is an atom's weight of iman and faith. So one of the meanings of the hadith is that iman and kibr don't go together they just cannot go together so one of the listeners said to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam ya rasulullah or messenger of allah he was actually quite handsome so he said oh messenger of allah allah has blessed me with handsomeness as you can see this is not the wording of muslim but it's the wording of other collections of hadith that Allah has blessed me with beauty as you can see and I like my clothes to be good and beautiful and I like my shoes to be good and beautiful is this kibr? is this pride and arrogance O messenger of Allah so the Prophet wasallam said this is not pride and arrogance inna Allah jameelun yuhibbul jamal Allah is beautiful he loves beauty But rather, pride and arrogance, what are they? Al-kibr, batarul haq wa ghamtun nas. Kibr, 
pride and arrogance are the defiance of the truth and the derision of people. That's arrogance. When a person defies the truth and refuses to accept it, despite its obviousness. And number two, a person derides the people and holds them in contempt. When a person considers anyone else to be beneath them, they deride them. They hold them in contempt. This is pride and arrogance. Not looking good. And this is why a person can... Pride is not just in speech. And it's not just in presentation. Just because a person dresses well, you can't say he is arrogant. Just because a person drives a good car, you can't say he is arrogant. Judging them and calling them arrogant is arrogance itself. Who gives you the right to judge them? Do you know what their hearts contain? And here the Prophet ﷺ says it clearly. The man said, O Messenger of Allah, Allah has blessed me with beauty. He actually said that to the Prophet ﷺ. That Allah has blessed me with beauty as you can see. So he was handsome. He knew he was handsome. People told him he was handsome. And he said to the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, O Messenger of Allah, Allah has blessed me with beauty as you can see. And I like my clothes to be beautiful. And I like my shoes to be beautiful. Even down to his sandals. His na'al, his sandals. He says, I even like my sandals to be beautiful. Is this arrogance? Messenger of Allah sallallahu said that's not arrogance. So a person might be poorly dressed, shuffling along with head bowed down, speaking softly. And yet, his heart and mind may be filled with pride. And it may not be the pride of wealth. It may not be the pride of good clothing. It may not be the pride of material possessions. But it may be the pride and the arrogance and the sense of superiority in piety. That is arrogance. So when we judge others, our judging others and labelling others as being arrogant is itself arrogance. So, when a person, how does it, what's kibr? The Prophet himself said, looking good is not necessarily arrogance. Dressing well is not necessarily arrogance. Even having beautiful shoes is not necessarily arrogance. So we should stop commenting on people's shoes too. Truly. Rather than looking at other people's shoes and commenting on them, we should look at ourselves. Our judgment, our judgmental behaviour, our labelling, all of these things are reflections of our own pride and arrogance. So that's Gibra, when you hold people in contempt. When a person holds another in contempt, they are judgmental. And not only are they judgmental, they laugh at them, they mock them, they scoff at them. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbids. We've, we think, we think humour is sacred. 
We think comedy is sacred. We think satire is sacred. So, when it comes to satire, no one is sacred and holy. Satire itself is sacred. Satire has the right, and we and people have the right to satirize, to scoff at, to mock, to, and to ridicule and to poke fun of anyone and anything. Beat God, beat God's messengers, beat anyone else. Allah tells us satire is not sacred. People are sacred. Satire is not sacred. People's dignity is sacred. People's honor is sacred. People's self-worth is sacred, not satire. That doesn't mean Islam is bland and humorless and dry and overly serious and that the believers should be a dreary lot. No. But if you wish to poke fun, poke fun at yourselves. Why does it always have to be someone else's mother-in-law? Or, why does it always have to be someone else, including God and God's messenger, subhanAllah? When it comes to you, nobody can mock you, nobody can criticize you, nobody can poke fun at you, nobody can even question you. But you have some right, self-given right to mock everyone and everything, including God and his messengers, including others. So we've elevated comedy, humour and satire to sacred levels. And in the process, we rob everyone else of their self-worth and dignity. Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, have taught us otherwise. That people's dignity is sacred. People's self-worth is sacred. Do not violate that. No one gives anyone the right to punch another in the face for no reason. That's recognised as physical assault. And in laws all over the world. In all societies. And in all religions. People recognise that a person's blood, a person's property, a person's life, a person's body, a person's physique, a person's physical well-being... All of these are sacrosanct. They cannot be violated. And if they are, there will be consequences. There will be punishment. And yet, only until recently, and it's still an evolving process, very few laws, very few societies recognise the harmful nature and the prohibition of verbal abuse, of mental abuse, of emotional abuse. And it's only now through psychology and the study of the mind that we are beginning to realise the extremely harmful effect of verbal, emotional and mental abuse which 
far surpasses the detrimental effect of even physical abuse. But Allah and His Rasul have told us this centuries ago. From the very beginning, the Quran and the Hadith have told us that just as physical abuse is haram, in one hadith related by Imam Muslim and Bukhari and others, Prophet says, Sibabu Muslim Fusukun wa qitaluhu kufr. To abuse a Muslim is a sin. And to fight with him is disbelief. In another hadith, again related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, Rasulullah says, إِنَّ مِنْ أَكْبَرِ الْكَبَائِرِ أَنْ يَلْعَنَ الرَّجُلُ وَالِدَيْهِ قِيلَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ كَيْفَ يَلْعَنُ الرَّجُلُ وَالِدَيْهِ قَالَ يَسُبُّ الرَّجُلُ أَبَى الرَّجُلُ فَيَسُبُّ أَبَاهُ وَأُمَّهُ Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, one of the greatest of the major sins. He didn't just say a sin. He didn't just say a major sin. He didn't just say a great sin. He said, indeed, one of the greatest of the major sins is that a man abuses his own father and mother, his own parents. So the Sahaba عنهم, said, Ya Rasulullah, how can a man abuse and curse his own parents? So the Prophet وسلم, said, a man abuses the father of another man. So he, in retaliation, abuses his father and mother. What does the hadith tell us? Prophet ﷺ tells us that by being the first to abuse another person's father, he becomes, ultimately, he becomes a cause of his own parents being cursed and abused. And he is sinful for that. Verbal abuse is a major sin. Swearing at someone else is a sin. Taunting is a sin. And all of these three sins mentioned in this verse are nothing to do with violence or the body or blood or wealth or property. They are all to do with the tongue and with another person's dignity. Mocking another is haram. It truly is. And how does Allah describe it? O believers, let not a group of you mock another group less they be better than them, meaning the ones who are mocking be worse than the ones who are being mocked. And the ones who are being mocked are better in the sight of Allah than the ones who are scoffing at them and mocking. Once Prophet ﷺ was seated, again, Sahih later by Imam Bukhari in his Sahih and by others, including Imam Dinamidi and others. Prophet ﷺ was seated with a, couple of, with a group of Sahaba ﷺ. A man walked past who was one of the Ashraf al-Qawm, meaning one of the nobility. So a nobleman walked past. Prophet ﷺ said to the Sahaba ﷺ, What do you think of him? So the Sahaba ﷺ said, Hada, This one, حَرِيٌّ إِنْ خَطَبَ إِنْ يُنْكَحَ وَإِنْ شَفَعَ إِنْ يَشَفَعَ And in one narration, وَإِنْ قَالَ أَنْ يُسْمَعَ لَهُ That, O Messenger of Allah, this is a man who is so highly regarded that if he was to propose someone to someone for marriage, he would be married. 
If he was to intercede on behalf of another, his intercession would be accepted. And if he was to say something, then his word would be listened to and obeyed. Prophet ﷺ remained silent. Another person went past, who wasn't one of the nobility. Prophet ﷺ said, and what do you think of this person? So this is the Rasulullah. This one. He is such that if he was to propose, he would never get married. And if he was to intercede on behalf of someone else, his intercession would never be accepted. And if he was to say something, no one would listen to him. So the Prophet said, This one, he is better than a world filled with the likes of the other. This one, he is better than, the, than a world filled with the likes of the other. In another hadith, Prophet says that there are many who are disheveled and unkempt in appearance, covered in dust, driven away from the doors, Meaning people hold them in contempt. They open the door, take one look at them and slam the door shut in their faces. That's the meaning of the hadith. Because they open the door, they say, who's this? Unkempt hair, disheveled appearance, covered in dust, some poor lowly individual. The Prophet says that are those who are Disheveled, unkempt, covered in dust, driven from the doors, but who are such that if he was to swear in the name of Allah, Allah would not allow his oath to go unfulfilled because they hold such a position with Allah. So we should be extremely careful. We do not know the state of a person's heart. A person could be poor, a person could be rich. A person could be wealthy, a person could be powerful, a person could be lowly or weak and meek. We do not know anyone's condition. If we mock someone, there is a great danger that we are ridiculing, scoffing at and mocking someone who is held in great esteem by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, Allah says in the Quran that there is no messenger that there was never a messenger except that they would mock and ridicule him. There was never a prophet except that they would mock and ridicule him. In fact, mockery, ridiculing, poking fun, laughing at others, this has always been the trait in the Qur'an described in the Qur'an as being a trait of those who oppose the messengers of Allah. The opponents of the messengers of Allah were the ones who mocked, who ridiculed the Prophet Nuh and all the other prophets. As Allah says, no messenger came except that he was ridiculed. No messenger, no prophets ever came except that he was mocked. And truth is often at first rejected, then ridiculed, then tolerated, and then finally accepted. 
And during the time of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, his opponents mocked him. They would find every reason to poke fun at him. Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. An accursed individual. When Abu Jahl and his cronies sat around the Kaaba, and the Prophet ﷺ came to pray Salah again, another hadith later by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud a she-camel had just recently given birth. So Abu Jahl said to his cronies, they were all staring at the Prophet ﷺ performing his salah in the mataf of the Kaaba. And he said, which one of you will go and fetch the amniotic sac and the afterbirth of the she-camel of such and such a family that has just given birth? So the most despicable and the unworthy one of the whole group, he rose and he went to fetch the amniotic sack. And who was that? Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. He went, collected the afterbirth of the she-camel with all its impurity, blood and gore. And he came, and as Abu Jahl had suggested, who would go and get it and dump it on the back of Muhammad? So he came and he dumped it on the back of Rasulullah when he was in prostration. It was so heavy that the Prophet could not rise from his sajda. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says that I was in the mataf, but this was in the early days of Islam, so he said I was helpless and I couldn't do anything. Someone went and informed the family of the Prophet ﷺ, so Fatima radiallahu anha, who was a young child, she came and began screaming at and abusing the group of cronies, the Quraysh. But prior to her arrival, when he dumped, when Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayy dumped the amniotic sack on the back of Rasulullah ﷺ, what did they all do? They all fell over laughing and poking each other and pointing at the Messenger Sallallahu as Allah says, of others in the Qur'an that when they would that when these opponents of the believers would pass by them, what would they do? They would wink at each other and poke one another, pointing at the believers. So Abu Jahl, Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt, and his group of cronies, they, when they saw the spectacle, they were nudging each other, winking at each other, prodding each other and pointing at the Prophet laughing and falling over in their laughter. Until Fatima came, pushed it off, and then she stood there abusing them. Abdullah ibn Masood says, the Messenger rose, he raised his noble hands, and he prayed to Allah that Allah sees, and he named every single one of them who was there. Oh Allah sees them. Abdullah ibn Masood says, by Allah, every one of them I saw fallen in the well of Badr. It took years for the dua, the dua was accepted, but the manifestation of the acceptance of that dua was many years later. But mocking, ridiculing, scoffing, laughing. In Mecca, before the time of the Prophet ﷺ, this was the tradition of the opponents of the messengers. During the time of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, this was the tradition 
of his opponents and adversaries amongst the Quraysh. In Medina, in Medina, this was the custom of the hypocrites. Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah that when they meet with the believers, they say, we have believed along with you. We are believers just like you. Then Allah says, And when they retreat to their devils, to their like-minded devils, they say to them, don't worry, we are with you. We are merely joking. This was always the tradition. They would always joke, poke fun, laugh, mock, ridicule. People love poking fun at one another. And people love poking fun at ulama. Malvis. That's not to say that people should poke fun at others and not at ulama. No. But it seems to be a running joke. Someone quoted a story to me. And this was actually, this took place in a conference. And the They stood up and they said that people often accuse Muslims of being humorless. I'm paraphrasing. But we don't joke, we don't laugh. So I'll tell you a joke. So the joke is that an imam went to someone's house to ask for their daughter's hand in marriage. So, as is traditional in our culture, the women were seated in the other room, the men in the front room. So, the father of the girl was questioning this imam. And he said to him, so do you have a job? So, he said, no. Inshallah, Allah will provide. Do you have any income? No, inshallah, Allah will provide. Do you have any savings? Said no, inshallah, Allah will provide. So he questioned him further along these lines. And the Imam would simply say, inshallah, Allah will provide. Allah will provide. Allah will provide. No job, no assets, no house, no income. So how will you look after my daughter? How will you house my daughter? Inshallah, Allah will provide. The father then comes into the room. Now, I'm only quoting. The father comes into the room and the mother of the girl eagerly and excitedly asks him, so what's the news? What do you think? So he said, good news and bad news. So what do you want to hear first? The good news or the bad news? He said, okay, give us the bad news. Well, the bad news is that he's a pauper. He's penniless. 
No job, no income, no assets, no home. Absolutely nothing. He's a pauper. So the mothers then said, well, what's the good news? She said, the good news is that he thinks I'm God. He thinks I'm God. Now, is this the only example of Muslim humor that we could offer to others? Now, others may not see this as, some may see it as being very funny, but I, I don't see it as a good example for the following reasons and more. Do you know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran? And marry, meaning marry off those who are unmarried amongst you. And the pious ones amongst your men and maids. Allah then says, why was this verse revealed? Because people were reluctant to marry each other and get married because of the fear of poverty. And that he's penniless, he's a pauper, he doesn't have anything. This is the verse of the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, If they are poor, then Allah will enrich them through his bounty. This is why the Sahaba, including Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, and others used to say, if a person seeks riches, let him seek riches through marriage. Marry, and Allah has promised in the Quran that Allah will enrich you through his bounty. It doesn't mean you'll become a millionaire. But through the barakah of marriage, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will motivate you, inspire you, enable you to be able to provide for yourself and your family. And there are many reasons for that. I was saying that Ulama seem to be the butt of all jokes, imams and ulama. Let me relate a hadith, well, a narration to you, a hadith related by Imam Tabari in his tafsir and in uh, his other works with an authentic chain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَلَئِنْ سَأَلْتَهُمْ And if you ask them, لَيَقُولُنَّ They will surely say in reply, we were only dabbling in jest and play, meaning we were only joking. Qul, say to them, O Messenger of Allah, Abillahi wa ayatihi wa rasulihi kuntum Say, what? Were you joking with Allah and His signs and His Messenger? Do not offer any excuses. You have disbelieved after faith. Even if we excuse a group amongst you, we shall punish a group amongst you because they were criminal and sinful. Of course, there's a lot of background to this verse, so, but the interesting thing here is, 
What's this related to? Imam Tabari relates the incident in connection with this verse. What had happened is that one of the hypocrites, like I said, in Mecca, the opponents of the Prophet it was their custom to laugh, to mock, to joke, to poke fun. And in Medina, he was the custom of the hypocrites to do the same. That's what they would always do, even in the early years and later years. So on one occasion in the campaign of Tabuk, or before the campaign of Tabuk, round about that time, one of the one of them said to the Prophet, uh, said to another Sahabi, he said, What is the story with our Qurra? And what did he mean by Qurra, the plural of Qari? Amongst the Sahaba, today when we say Qari, we mean someone, a reciter. But during the time of the Prophet and the Sahaba, even after he passed away, the word Qari and its plural Qurra did not refer to reciters. It referred to ulama. Since the most knowledgeable were the ones who had the most knowledge of the Qur'an, they were referred to as Qaris and Qurra. So when the Sahaba عنهم, would use the word Qari and Qurra, they meant the ulama, the learned amongst them, not just simply the reciters. So this person said to the other that what's the story with our Qurra, meaning with our ulama? They have the most desirous of stomachs, meaning they love their food. And yet they are the most cowardly. And then he said a few other things to disparage them. And he was speaking about the ulama and the qurra of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Since not all of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum, of course they were all learned, but there were some amongst them who were supreme in their ilm and in their knowledge. And they were regarded as the ulama amongst the sahaba, the qurra amongst the sahaba, amongst companions. So when the sahabi radiyallahu anh heard what this person had to say, he said to him, how dare you? I shall go and complain to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of what you have just said. And all he had said was, that what's the story with our ulama, our qurra? The most desirous of stomachs and the most cowardly of the people. That's all he had said. And one more thing again about the ulama, nothing more. He didn't say anything about Allah. He didn't say anything about the verses of the Quran. He didn't say anything about the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Sahabi radiallahu anhu went and complained to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That person went after him later. And he grabbed the reins of the Prophet ﷺ, pleading and making excuses. And he was saying to the Messenger ﷺ, We were only joking. We were only engaging, indulging in jest and play. And the Messenger ﷺ was saying in reply to him exactly what Allah had mentioned to him. Say to them, 
Say, do you joke with Allah and his messenger and his signs? Now, I related all of this because nowhere did that person speak of Allah or the messenger or the verses of the Qur'an. He only spoke about the Qur'an and the ulama of the Sahaba so why does Allah say, and why did the Messenger وسلم, say to him, do you mock and do you joke with Allah and his signs and his messenger? The reason is, we honor people because of their connection. And we often ridicule people because of their connection. We honor people because of their ilm, because of their knowledge, because of their connection, their piety. And sometimes when we mock people, we do so because of their connection. So we have to be extremely careful. That, that person mocked the Qurra of the Sahaba عنهم, and the ulama. But because the, he did not mock Allah and his messenger, or the verses of the Qur'an, or the signs of Allah, but because these Qurra were connected to the Qur'an and these ulama amongst the companions were connected to the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah warned them, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa warned them that ultimately and in effect you are mocking Allah and his Messenger and the signs of the Qur'an and the verses of the Qur'an. Now none of what I have said is any suggestion that Qurra, the people of ilm, the people of the Qur'an, or religious people. They should be aloof from being mocked. No, I'm not saying anything of the sort. All I'm doing is commenting on the verse of the Qur'an in which Allah makes it forbidden for any one of us, man or woman, to mock and ridicule any man or woman. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu says, that same companion who we've heard a lot of today, he says, and he was one of the Qurra, he was one of the ulama of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. He was. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu says, I fear even mocking a dog lest I be turned into a dog. And that was Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi narrates from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha that once Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha what she did is that she said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa she was speaking of Safiya radiyallahu anha the other wife she said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ya Rasulullah as far as Safiya is concerned all you need to know is this and she pointed she didn't even say the word. She said, Hasbuk min Safiya takada. That all you need to know about Safiya is this. And she pointed with her hands, not even saying a word, but simply signaling about the height of Safiya radiallahu anha. She was slightly short. So Aisha radiallahu anha said to the Prophet وسلم, O Messenger of Allah, Hasbuk min Safiya takada. That all you need to know about Safiya is this. She is short. Do you know what the Prophet ﷺ's reply to her was? He said, Oh Aisha, you have uttered a word. She never said anything. She merely signaled. 
And he said, you have uttered a word, which if that one word was mixed with the waters of the oceans, it would dilute them. And Umm Mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha continues to say that once, inni hakaytu insana, I imitated someone. So you know how we copy someone, we imitate someone. She said, I imitated someone before the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Oh Aisha, I would never imitate anyone, even if I was given so much, so much, so much wealth in return. I would never imitate anyone. Because why do we imitate people in order to mock them? Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, He once related a hadith. Someone asked him about a hadith. And you know how sometimes when we marvel at something, when we are shocked in pleasant surprise, and we make, we signal with our hands, we motion with our hands, we make strange gestures. One of them is, wah, 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 you. Rock your head and you gesture with your hands. So once Imam Bukhari, he related a hadith in response to a question. And he was, he was like a computer. So when he came out with the hadith, someone who was sitting in front of him, he marveled at the genius and the quick response and the intelligence of Imam Bukhari. So he rocked his head and made gestures with his hands. So Imam Bukhari, since he was sitting right in front of him, he was taken aback. He didn't laugh, but he smiled. Then he realized, and later he approached him, and he said, I wish to seek forgiveness from you, and I want you to make something halal for me. This is a phrase that the Arabs used to use. Quite simply that, if I have wronged you, then I am indebted to you. So I want you to free me of that debt. And they used to use the phrase, make me halal. So he, Imam Bukhari said to him, I want you to make me halal. I want to be in a state of halal from you. So he said, why Imam, what's happened? So he said, when I related that hadith and you were there, and you marveled at my narration of the hadith, and you began gesturing with your head and your hands, I found that funny. So I smiled. He didn't laugh, he smiled. So he said, I shouldn't have done that. And in a way it's mocking you, and therefore I seek your forgiveness. SubhanAllah. There is so much that can be said on this topic. Mocking, ridiculing, deriding others, making fun of them, poking fun at them, is completely haram in Islam. And I'll end with this and I'll continue with the remainder of the verse next week. Just as a final reminder, Allah says, O believers, let's not a group of you mock another group, lest they be better than them. And let's not a group of women amongst you mock another group of women, lest they be better than them. Sukhriya. Mockery, scoffing, poking fun, making fun of others, ridiculing. All of these are haram in Islam. 
Comedy is entirely permissible. Humour is entirely permissible. But we should know our limits. Freedom has its limits. Humour has its limits. Satire has its limits. And comedy, humour are all welcome in Islam, provided they do not violate the boundaries of another person. And they do not violate the sanctity of another person's dignity. I end with this. Wasallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.